Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. These interviews were recorded from the 13th season of our live show at the Bryan Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. Every show features an interview on an important issue, and then an improv comedy performance based on that interview. You're listening to just the interview from one of those shows. We'd also like to thank our media sponsor, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can check them out at www.minpost.com. This episode of the show features a talk about the economy in Minnesota. Our guest is Shantara Hardy, who was appointed by Governor Mark Dayton to serve as the Commissioner of Employment and Economic Development in 2016. As Commissioner, she focuses on creating jobs, promoting business recruitment, expansion and retention, advancing state workforce training and development, and supporting international trade and community development. We chatted about her role in government, how Minnesota is doing economically, and hopes for the future. I hope you enjoy the show. Coordination. This is great. This is meant to be. So kind of cute. I yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, I so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I I actually I, I ask a lot of our guests sort of as an opening question, and I'm really curious here. What what do you do? What is like your job sort of right? And I realize that's broad, but you know we hear about like oh a commissioner of uh, employment and economic development, and you're like oh I get the idea of that, but. But what does that actually look like for sort of a day-to-day job for a commissioner? So first of all, thank you again for, for having me here. Um, I commission jobs. You commission, you commission jobs. <laughs> um, I am a... And you show up on improv comedy shows yes, every once in a while, and yeah. Taxpayer dollars. <laughs> um, I am a member of the governor's cabinet, and so I'm one of the cabinet agency um, commissioners, and so... Our agency um, has a huge portfolio, so focused on job creation and also focused on workforce training. And then we also have responsibility for um, the international affairs of the state. And so I'm also the commissioner of trade. And so I do all of our relationships with um, other countries and really positioning Minnesota as a global leader. Ooh, that is I, I that is very exciting. What let's sort of set the table. So uh, in terms of when you're talking to either uh, you know companies maybe thinking about moving here or starting here or international things, what what's the pitch for Minnesota? Why here? We have great weather. Um, she's a very good politician. Like, just <laughs> she starts with the big lie, and then we just go from there. Let's break it down. Um, the one of the things that's so important about telling Minnesota's story is that we have overall amazing quality of life. And when you come here, you see the investments in our education system, our healthcare system, our infrastructure. That's what we sell because when it comes to companies want to invest in a community, they're first thinking about their employees. Where can they live, work, and play? And how do you find a community that can offer a diversity of those types of assets? And Minnesota has that. And it shows up differently throughout the state, but we consistently have all of those assets that companies are looking for. So, uh, how is also Minnesota doing right now, right? Like, I'm almost asking, you know, if you were giving yourself a report card, like in terms of Minnesota's employment and economic development, how are we doing? We're actually doing very well. Um, in terms of one of the best places to do business, we're number three in the country. 
Um, and we that was a that was a CNBC CNBC rating. Um, and what that broke down to is, are we providing our companies the services that they need? Um, and it comes to workforce participation within that uh, survey of Minnesota. We had number one in terms of workforce participation throughout the country. Um, so we're doing very well. We are um, overall, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country at about 3.7%. And um, in terms of our investments in our infrastructure, we, we, we lead the way. We do. I mean, this is an interesting piece, the the infrastructure piece, because uh, I a lot of folks, uh, you know, we're talking about Southwest Light Rail mm-hmm. and people talk about um, Metro Transit, you know, having a budget deficit last mm-hmm. year and things like that. But that's just a couple of pieces maybe that immediately come to mind in terms right. of things that are in the news. So what is what are we leading on in terms of uh, we're leading on in our investment with respect to the the um, projects that you're mentioning in terms of sustaining our investments is where we have to do work. Um, and making sure that we are able to do that from a system perspective. Um, we've embarked on, we're going to invest in this piece and that piece and that piece. And how do you take a systematic approach to sustain those investments? Minnesota is starting to see that we haven't been able to sustain those pieces. And so hearing people say we need to invest in roads and bridges and transit and biking and walking, that's a systematic investment that we need to make. And that's something that um, if we don't do soon, like February, um, <laughs> we're going to... We have to get a light rail built by February? <laughs> Money. Resources. Resources. So this is... You were saying the businesses that you talk to have uh, specific things in terms of quality of life, how their uh, employees, workers are going to get around, where they're going to live. I'm curious how that conversation goes because, you know, of course they all want that, but there's a flip side to that as well that you're like, okay, yes, and you will have to pay for that, right, Uh, in terms of the fact that we have high taxes in certain cases and whatnot. I mean, does that kind of conversation come up, The not just this is important, but also the sort of how you pay for it? Yeah, I mean, when you think about quality services i don't know is is, is somebody, someone's phone oh somebody's <laughs> phone okay that's fine i thought i thought dennis was playing me off like he's just like it's over the sandman yeah um when you think about quality services that is <laughs> that that's that's a part of doing business and so yeah. businesses understand that making sure that we're competitive you you do have that conversation of where do we stand in terms of, of taxes but it's the question becomes, well, what am I paying for? Right. And so that's how we are able to sit down because for many of our companies, they're sometimes choosing a specific location. Yeah. Based on um, this building was available, we don't need to rebuild. Or in terms of the talent, there's a certain connection to a university or a college or you know technical um, background of um, the talent. So... It really just, it's a case-by-case case from yeah. a company's perspective. But with respect to taxes and what they're paying for, those are things that they factor in and cost to do business and, and relate it to 
their their culture and what they are interested in providing for their employees. So uh, I, I want to, there's a whole batch of things I, I, I want to talk about, um, but I, I am also very curious sort of how you think about your job in terms of um, a lot of the things we've been talking about, frankly, are very metrocentric, but you're the commissioner for the whole state. And mm-hmm. so what do those needs look like in places outside the metro? How is it different? How is it the same? Actually, in terms of the needs what we've been talking about are also greater Minnesota. Uh, when it comes to, to talent, when it comes to transportation, when you look at the statistics um, for uh, individuals that are under 25, I think the last stat was one in four of them don't have a driver's license and don't plan to get a driver's license. So when you think about that from a community one in four, group, 20... I think it's about one in four. Don't quote me on that, but it's it's close it's close to that. <laughs> all right, everyone, forget that. Forget uh, that. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, it's yeah. close to that that they are don't have a driver's license and don't have a desire to have a driver's license. That's just not a metro stat. Yeah. And so when you think about those investments in transportation, community in Greater Minnesota has to think about that because that desire to drive is not there. That's just something very simple. When, you, when I talk to companies in greater Minnesota, their number one issue is talent, finding the right people. Their number two issue is related to workforce housing, having the availability of housing. That's a metro issue. And their number three issue, interesting enough, is child care. And so those Somebody are- just went, oh, yeah, <laughs> child care. Say that. Um, and so those are just not metro issues. Those are statewide issues. And so- um, my role is to make sure that we are bringing those issues to St. Paul, but we are making sure that we're being thoughtful about each community is different. And so the need and how we solve those issues is going to be different. See this, going back to the business, uh, uh, their relationship with some of this is, I mean, so they give you this message and they say, you know, that, oh, these are some of the things we need, talent, housing, childcare. They say, go to St. Paul and do this. Do you ever say to them, like, you go to St. Paul. Like, have you met the people in St. Paul? Like, yeah, I need help. You know what? What's so awesome about Minnesota, and I will tell you that my colleagues are pretty jealous about our business community. Our business community shows up in these issues. I had a I had a phone call two weeks ago, and I won't name the company, that I was nervous of why this high-level executive at one of our Fortune Fives wanted to talk to me. I'm like, what are you about to do? No layoffs, no this, you know? And he wanted to talk about child care. He said, in our community, we have to figure this out. We're ready. What do we need to do? Do we need to go to St. Paul? Do we need to figure out how we leverage existing funding that we have or our county partners or other? So they're having those conversations. So it's, it's, it's not dragging and screaming. It's not um, a situation where our business community don't see that they have a role in solving kind of those social issues because they understand the social determinants that can get in the way of people being successful when they come to work. If you can't get access to childcare, you can't come to work. I can't produce my product. My bottom line is impact. So they understand how 
they have to stay, show up for those community issues. Um, you mentioned uh, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates here in Minnesota in the country. Mm-hmm. Is our unemployment rate too low? When you talk to smarter people, um, like the state demographer, um, the um, economists say under 5%, you're at full employment. And so we're in a very tight labor market. Right. And so when and by you, tight, there's, you know, some people not, have suggested there's actually more jobs than people in some cases, in certain industries. In certain areas, areas and industries, yes, that, that's the case. Minnesota today, in our job vacancy um, numbers, we have about 100,000 open jobs around the state. 100,000. And so, do you have just like a board up in your office of those hundred thousand jobs? Build like, a job. All right, how does somebody job. know who needs a gardener? Yes. I got, I, I got, got a- it. It's auctioning off. Um, I wish I did. I had like a, a ticker, like I can see everything. Um, no, I don't. I have um, a staff that that's watching that, and, and community um, partners that are really feeding into that. But um, 3.7% is hard overall. Um, I was mentioning to you, you know, that's overall. And when it comes to, you know, filling those jobs, many of our Minnesotans are, are employed. When we think about, um, you know, our other cohorts of community, our communities of color, our uh, Minnesotans that are living with disabilities, many of those communities are, have unemployment rates that are three times. Mm. And so how are we making sure that we're tapping those Minnesotans to fill these jobs? Because as this unemployment rate sits, we also have many of our seasoned Minnesotans that are leaving the workforce. <laughs> wow, that was diplomatic. Uh, seasoned Minnesotans. Yes. Uh, uh, veteran Minnesotans. Uh, they're seasoned. They have extra spice. Yeah. Because they've been Which is unusual working. in Minnesota for anybody yes, to have extra yes. spice. Um, but it's, when you think about um, those workers, many have, oh, they're leaving and they're gone. And right. the way we're looking at that is that many Minnesotans that are in that cohort, many have started working very young. And so for me, my strategy is like, you got a second win. Let me get 10 more years out of you. Where's an industry that you <laughs> that thought you wanted to go to? Because you have the second skills. win. Yes. 10 more years. Yeah. You have some people that are retiring at 45 and 50. <laughs> they saved. Um, and even some people that are retiring at 60 and 70 that have a few more years that that knowledge transfer is so important and having having that um those skills to be able to help us is going to be important we just cannot just say and thank you for your service oh can i just get you on are you saying you uh your dream is that all minnesotans work until we die in a in place of employment that brings them joy living wage <laughs> All that good stuff. I want to go back to <laughs> you uh, mentioned uh, some communities, communities of color, communities living with disabilities, um, have much higher unemployment rates, and we have a hundred thousand or hundred thousand uh, job openings. Or mm-hmm. uh, what's the disconnect? Why don't that those mm-hmm. get paired up right now? 
So I'll, I'll just take the moment just to speak in particular to Minnesotans living with disabilities. Um, when you think about the opportunities, there are barriers. There are um, companies that may have no experience um, being able to accommodate people with disabilities. And so how are we making sure that we make those connections from a physical standpoint to be able to um, equip the place of employment, and also from a cultural standpoint, and making sure that if we are successful in training a Minnesotan living with a disability to do the job, that when they walk in the door, they'll be accepted it like anybody else. And that's something that, um, you know, in terms of being intentional about it, um, for a number of industries, we've done very well. Um, some industries are just getting their feet wet, and others have not thought to step back to think about how can we tap those Minnesotans because they can do the job. You know, many people living with disabilities, um, physical or mental, are able to do the work. It's how do we make sure that the workplace is ready to connect them to the opportunity. And so then what's the role of your department in trying to get them ready? I mean, what does the actual work look like? So in my um, agency, I have the a division called vocational rehabilitation services and the vrs team works to actually train people with disabilities and so they are finding the employment they are matching them to the actual um, company figuring out what the job is and they're actually helping them train their coaches to help them get through um, the process and there when they need them and so we have that partnership with companies to help people actually navigate. And so we're doing the training, we're doing the, tr- the job placement, we're doing the coaching, and we're helping navigate with the companies. Um, <clears throat> I, so that's the communities with, with disabilities. I do want to talk, we've actually done shows previously, and we were talking a little bit about this backstage, about Minnesota's uh, ability or lack thereof sometimes to attract and, re- attract and retain professionals of color, that we actually have sort of this big gap uh, in Minnesota of people who come to the state, and then it's sort of like people who move to the state for work, uh, among whites, we are like number one in terms of them staying because they fall in love with the state. Mm-hmm. And then we're like 14th, I believe, with people of color because they come here. And at least the previous uh, conversations we've had about this on the show, they say people get here and there's no community for them. There's, they don't see a lot of people like them. It's mm-hmm. hard to get in the door, uh, both right. in a professional and a culture uh, kind of sense. Is that stuff that you see? And is it something that then your department has levers to pull or push or try and fix? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a transplant um, by way of New York and Ohio. And the things that you mentioned are things that are true. And so I mentioned to you that, um, you know, Minnesotans are like, and that's my friend for 79 years. And we're only friends and no one else can get in. You can't come to our cabin. And so breaking through relationships and with any relationship, yes, that's number one, building trust. You just don't let anybody in. Um, you have to do that. But for, for people of color, especially professionals, um, if you think about a lot of the companies that do a lot of the recruiting um, to attract um, professionals of color, 
Many of them are headquartered in the outskirts of, of the city. And so when you move a profession of color from Florida to Minatrista, it just might be hard to connect. Yeah. And so how are you as a company connecting them to um, community? And that community may not always be race. It may be age. It may be interests. And so what are you doing as a company to make sure? Because anyone wants to belong and feel connected. And that's something that, you know, if you bring in a cultural aspect um, of professionals of color, how are you making those connections to those specific cultures? This is actually a thing that uh, is just, I, I don't have a question about this. This is honestly a pet peeve of mine that I've had of friends from other parts of the country come here, like brought here to interview for a job at a big company or whatnot. And when they come here, the people uh, like trying to hire them will show them like all of downtown Minneapolis <laughs> and St. Paul. And they'll be like, oh, look at all these cool things you can do. And then they'll be like, oh, awesome. But actually, uh, our, we're headquartered in like South Shakopee or something <laughs> like that. And it's sort of like, what come, I don't know. There's a, there's a disconnect. It feels dishonest. No, Can you I, fix this? I'm every, yes. Yes. No, it's, it's, it's making sure that companies in particular, HR departments have relationships. When your company has relationships with the community that it's in, and your company has a strategy in terms of who they're trying to attract and retain, and they built relationships, then it's natural to want to bring someone and, and, and help them make those connections. Like, you can't just drop somebody, you know, drop somebody down and, and think that they're going to be able to navigate, especially in a place where relationships are closed. Yeah. If you're if you you haven't grown out with me, it's hard to to get in. And so those are things. And and then from once you're in a company and company culture, um, you know, as I said to you, there's Minnesota nice and there's Minnesota nice. And so I don't know how that's going to translate for the podcast version of this. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's, she tilted it's, her head. She tilted her head one um, way and then the other and then the other. Um, and. <laughs> What that what I'm saying about that is in the workplace, how are people able to bring their full self? And with Minnesota Nice, sometimes translate to not direct. And some, not just from a cultural or race perspective, some geographies, they're direct. And you coming into this environment, and that's just one example in terms of communication style and you come into this environment and that's how you've always shown up that can be translate to bully to you know so personally I, you know for me I, an angry black woman and you know and so it's how, how does that show up and how do you bring yourself and when you feel like you can't bring your full self into the workplace that becomes not the place for you to bring your talents. And then you have that revolving door. So I understand everything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I just um, thought if I just a little, if maybe I have another way of thinking about it that we could talk about. Um, I, this feels already too aggressive of me right mm -hmm. now. So mm -hmm. I just, 
What are you really saying? No, exactly. Um, so last piece, and I should say in the second half of the show, we open it up for you all to ask questions of our guests. So uh, please be thinking about those. I can't, though, end this segment without talking about um, uh, you were in charge of Minnesota's bid for uh, Amazon HQ2. You you were put that proposal together. Is that That's a fair summation? Me in partnership with Greater MSP and a number of communities in the region. So what, is that pro- what does that proposal actually look like? Well, you know, is it like a song and a dance, or is it like a, uh, just a big PowerPoint? Was there a 3D model of, I don't know, what, is, what does it actually look like? <laughs> yeah, no, don't yeah. use another state song. <laughs> it's a proposal that we submitted. Like to a, Amazon. A paper, like a... Did there you was, put some... There was paper involved. Did you put glitter in it at least so they remember ours? I put water from every 10 of the lakes, all 10,000 lakes. Wow. That was great. So uh, what What was... Min- I mean, again, this almost goes back to min- minis- uh, the piece I was asking at the top about. What, what was Minnesota's pitch in that particular case? So when you... If anybody had a chance to look at the proposal and what I'll just take a minute to say this was a very unique way to do a request for proposals just throw it out there like here's a steak everybody come and get a piece of it that was a very um unique way to do that and it allowed for uh, are you saying unique in a Minnesota kind of way right now like it was very interesting that Amazon decided to do it that way. No, I'm Not using, everyone would have done it that way. I mean, No, I don't I'm know. using the real unique word. <laughs> Usually when companies um, are looking to go to a community, they usually have a short list already. And they'll take their team to visit, to understand the community, to navigate that way. They flipped it on its head with no shortlist and laid out in their proposal, here are the things that we're looking for in a community. Can you stack up to that? If so, you have 14 seconds to send in a proposal to us and we'll evaluate it. And so that was different. And so what that did was just open the competition to anyone who met the description and really positioning yourself be, became very critical. But I will say for Minnesota, we took the approach that we have great quality of life. And we already know you love it because you are in Shakopee and you're downtown Minneapolis. And we didn't call you. You came here and you called us. And so that's how we position our proposal when it comes to, you know, many people have seen um, someone sending a cactus, New Jersey offering $7 billion. Jeez. Um, that is not how we approach. You didn't fill a cactus with money and send it to Amazon? <laughs> no, I don't think Minnesotan taxpayers would have appreciated that. It would have also been hard to find a cactus. That is true. So I, I, we have the high quality of life. I, I'll go back to one other piece we were talking about before. We've got a three point two or three point seven percent unemployment rate. Mm-hmm. You know, if Amazon came and opened up here, 
would we actually have a hard time helping them fill those jobs then? No, because it's a when you think about these types of projects, you know, fifty thousand or five thousand, um, economic development pros- projects grow over time. Um, and so they weren't going to come with an Amazon box and just drop down 50,000 jobs. There's a process and phasing of that um, that's important. Just love 50,000 help wanted signs. Yeah, like. yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Um, but in terms of just the strategy, as I mentioned, it's, it's an all-in strategy, making sure that opportunities for Minnesotans is here. And as I mentioned to you, it's also like game day, like draft day that we're going to have to go and possibly import. We're going to do that no matter what. As I said, we have 100,000 jobs. We're 3.7. So that strategy is Amazon or not, that we're going to like go to those other regions and be like... And poach their people. Poach their people. Like free agent. I want that one and that one. And that's going to be something that no matter what we have to do... um, but it's starting with our own talent, and then it's figuring out how do we make sure that our region is attractive to other people who want to come here. Well, on that note, we have a lot more to talk about in the second half with your questions, but please, a tremendous round of applause. Minnesota D, Commissioner Hardy. Okay. If you have a question, please raise your hand. I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner. So we watched Night of Too Many Stars a couple of nights ago, and it's all about programs for autistic people, and in particular, a lot of um, need is with teenagers after they leave high school. They have all these programs in high school, and then once they graduate, they just flounder. They have, like, nothing. So I'm wondering if the state of Minnesota has any programs for autistic youth after they leave high school to help them transition into a work situation. That's a, that's a great question. And what you're referring to is really connected from an um, education perspective. Um, within my department, we do have um, youth build programs to be able to connect um, young people to employment. And so we are working in partnership with the Department of Education to figure those things out. Um, you're referring to that, that gap period where the intense services stop. And so how to figure out that transition, which can be to employment. And usually for um, that, those children, it's either employment or to additional education opportunities. And so trying to figure that out. I can't speak directly to the Department of Education. I can for our agency with respect to our youth build and um, youth competitive grant programs that do focus on providing those services for individuals that are wanting to go right into the workforce. Okay. Oh, right there. I've got a question. Hi. Um, I'm, you spoke just for a minute about uh, part of your job being reaching out internationally for jobs, and that interested me. I'm wondering, you know, do you all decide, oh, these are the countries or these are the jobs, how you do that, and who you have online right now? So our, um, the Minnesota Trade Department um, is focused on how do we, number one, from a business perspective, um, assist our small, mostly our small and medium size, but also our large companies with expert opportunities. 
And so what that can entail is, number one, first, is selling their products and services to other countries. And the way we go about that work um, is looking at where are our major trade partners. So when we think about the state of Minnesota, our number one and our number two trade partners are Canada and Mexico. And so using those as examples, um, we're working with companies to see what are those opportunities to to export their pro- their um, their actual product and service. We're looking to see their companies who maybe want to open up an office in Minnesota. That team is working with them to navigate um, federal um, regulation around um, doing business in different company in different countries, and also helping them to really make sure that their business has the capacity to do that work. And so that is um, kind of how we go about that. And it's really based on, you know, our existing companies and their portfolio and the work that they do. And so right now um, we are actually going through that time period where we look at kind of our export numbers and who we've been doing business with to determine where we want to go. In the past, we've had an actual presence in um, in Shanghai, in Germany, in different countries that um, we have that relationship with. And so that is a evolving, but in terms of kind of our major kind of top 10 countries that we have that strong relationships for imports and exports, that's how we kind of go about kind of building those relationships. Wait, when you say we had a physical presence, like we had a the, the Minnesota ride in, like, Shanghai Disney? Or what does that mean exactly? Uh, so we actually had an, um, we had an office, so an individual that was there responsible for, for those relationships. Wow. All right. I, I had a hand right here, and then did I see one up there that I'll come up to? So you talked a little bit about, you talked a little bit about uh, professional jobs, but uh, given that we have 100,000 person shortfall of jobs um i was wondering uh about your your position on immigration and uh uh immigrant immigrants from say mexico or other uh latin american countries coming to fill those types of jobs yeah how much does minnesota's economy generally depend on uh us bringing folks in from other countries or even other states in in some of these service jobs and whatnot so I can't specifically give you a um, actual number in terms of um, the type of um, relationship with our um, just immigrant population. Um, we have a number of our companies that rely on um, that talent. Um, you know, I think about we were talking about Austin, Hormel, and different companies that look for. We do have a migrant worker program in my agency. And so working um, with those companies to help them, and a lot of that is also working with those individuals to navigate um, becoming a citizen um, in the United States. Um, But when I think about those open positions that we do have, it is across the board. Um, Many of our um, positions that we have open are not all necessarily looking for individuals that have a four-year degree. We are looking for individuals that... um, may need to just go into a technical program to be able to, um, you know, get right on the job. Um, And so it's across the board that we're looking um, to do that. But as I said, 
in terms of making sure that we can remain competitive, the approach to our talent, we have to have an all in and all of the above approach if we want to maintain kind of that strong economy that we're going to need to import talent. I, can you say a little bit more about the the mismatch piece we were talking about a little bit before? We talked about, you know, there's these 100,000 jobs that some communities might not be connected to them. Mm-hmm. Is part of it, though, that uh, technical piece that, you know, people just maybe don't have the training for certain mm-hmm. kinds of things? Is it is there a retraining piece we often hear, you know, oh, the cold jobs aren't coming back, so maybe we should be retraining them to be, uh, you know, wind turbine uh, engineers or something like that. Is that part of So there, there's a combination of how kind of that skills piece show up. Um, as I mentioned to you, in, in some communities, you know, there are um, companies that are just leading the way in their industry. And so in terms of that innovation of getting to the next technology, it's making sure that the people that they have in the company have the actual skills. And so it's that type of training. In some communities, there is, um, depending on the, the type of industry, and as we mentioned earlier in terms of retirement, it's actually getting people into that pipeline. And so it shows up you know, differently um, in different parts of the state and making sure that we are able to connect kind of those skills pieces to the actual needs of the company. And so a lot of our focus is on how do we match that supply and demand? How do we make sure that we're training, not just for the sake of training, but we're training for the real-time needs of our companies and making those connections to what they actually need? Okay, I got to get to some more. Did you have a hand I was mentioned. Yeah, I'm just interested. Um, Amazon, for instance, has a reputation as being a regressive employer, and I was sort of wondering how the state in these kinds of negotiations builds corporate responsibility toward, toward employees into the conversation when they're in, involved in this kind of negotiation. Um, so uh, with respect to just our conversations with company, it's, it's on a company-by-company company basis. But I will tell you that, um, you know, and it... I was in a, a, in a, a meeting with um, a couple of retiring CEOs, and they will tell the story that when they arrived in Minnesota, there was an expectation that you will hire from the community, that you will be involved in different community initiatives, and that this is the Minnesota business culture. And so not only from a community specter of holding the accountability, you also have that business community holding themselves accountable. Um, but that conversation about what's needed, that conversation about the process, um, it happens because depending on what the company needs, if they have a building they need to go through zoning or anything like that, that's a community conversation that has to happen. And so those are things that my team are encouraging companies is to build that relationship with the community that you're going to actually come in, those elected officials, those community leaders, and figure out how you do that before you put the shingle up because that's going to be important in order to sustain, in order to get people to want to come and work for you. Can I ask a follow-up? Just, I've been really curious about this. Minnesota has had this business culture for a long time of uh, businesses investing here, you know, once upon a time we had the 5% club and things like that in terms of uh, – 
really companies being connected to Minnesota. I'm wondering if you find that that's still true in the way that maybe it was, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. If companies think of themselves, some of these big companies, as a Minnesota company or just an international company that happens to have a headquarters here? I think they do both. Um, you know, and that's how they are able and need to survive. Um, I think it is still alive and well. Um, you know, you have different groups throughout um, the state. You know, you have Greater Mankato, that's similar to Greater MSP. You have the Itasca project. You have a number of different um, entities that have come together that are bringing businesses together to have those conversations. And they're investing in different things. And Red Wing, you know, you have businesses investing in Red Wing Ignite to excite about entrepreneurship. And so it's showing up differently in different parts of states, but in terms of that expectation and that desire to want to be connected to community, you see it pretty much everywhere in the state of Minnesota. Okay. I did have, now I have one here and then What would you tell young people who want to stay here is a great way to go in terms of um, where the jobs are? Say you have a 21-year-old kid who's a dishwasher. Just hypothetically. <laughs> that the opportunities are here. And no matter what you have a, an interest in, you can find your way. I'm, I'm biased as a public servant in state. You know, we, you can be all the way from a zoologist to a state highway patrolman in the state of Minnesota to work for state government. And that is also something that shows up in our private sector in terms of our, we, Minnesota has been able to survive recessions and downward economies because we have one of the most diverse economies in the country. You know, we not only have a strong healthcare sector, we have a strong financial services sector, a strong agriculture sector. And so that's how we've been able to, to navigate. And as you think about those different sectors, it's not, it's not just the front line and doing those work. You also have the back office with the professional services. So you have that continuum of opportunity when you think about our different industries. And so I would just encourage him or her to, to get out there and see where the opportunities are to shadow in the state of Minnesota, we we encourage that. We have, in partnership with my agency and the Department of Labor, apprenticeships. We actually partner with companies and give them up to $7,500 just to try somebody out to learn on the job. And so there's opportunities there to really get people to go into different industries and to make those connections. And so when it comes to you know trying to figure it out it's this is the best place to be because we have a very strong and diverse economy on that incredibly positive optimistic note uh not just for that one individual but for all of us please a tremendous round of applause minnesota's commissioner of deep tara hardy please big round of applause. thank you for listening this show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.